Hi everyone, this is Raghu Marcus and Ramdas here and now. New podcast. We're going to title this one Calling Down Grace. And it's like, it's almost an anniversary, exact anniversary of when he gave this talk, which was October 1975, being that this is the end of October 2015. So, um, it's a beautiful talk. I sound like a broken record. Every time I start one of these podcasts exerting a talk of Ramdas's, I feel like I say the same thing, which is it's unbelievable that this incredible library of his talks over these 50 years almost, it seems. And each time I'm kind of blown away by something. It's pretty amazing. So it talks, he talks here about the beauty of a teacher. And when they are pure, they see your soul and they see what is keeping you from knowing who you are and all that happens in them. They're like a computer, which this really reminds me of Maharaji. And Kali comes forth. He means that part of manifestation, manifested mother comes to clean everything away that keeps you from being liberated. And they do it automatically. They can't help but do it. But you have to ask for it. And I've said this before about meeting Maharaji uh, when I went to India. And uh, so this podcast is done, uh, this talk that Ram Dass gave, rather, is done literally two years after Maharaji left his body. And so I always wondered, because I, when I saw Maharaji first, and as I was just saying, and I, that I've said this before, it, it was, to me, he was like a computer that was just doing what was absolutely necessary. It was automatic. It wasn't like there was any volition. He just did what was necessary both to have us recognize our true selves and clean up that stuff that we all have that occludes our true selves. And so it's funny because Ramdas uses this word here, computer. I mean, there was no personal... Steve Jobs was just uh, coming back from India a year before. That's all been news. I think everybody's seen that uh, stuff around Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg where... If you didn't know this, there's a cool video on uh, uh, on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, we put it up with an a- a actual subtitles. It's a it's from a Hindi station, Indian station, uh, around the whole thing with Modi coming to America and talking to Zuckerberg, who said, "Oh yeah, Steve Jobs was my uh, mentor, and before he died, he, uh, I was going through a rough patch, and he told me go to India and go to this little temple in the Himalayas, which was Kenchi, which was Maharaji's temple, which he went there about oh, I think it's four or five years ago, and uh, it definitely made an impression on on him. He was there for a few days, uh, so. But uh, back to the point." Uh, I can't believe that um, 
this reference that Ramdas used, uh, he was like a computer, which is really, really uh, far out. Uh, he goes on to say, you get so that everything in you, and this is all about you know, why do we purify? Why do we clean up? What's that all about? And you get so in you that doesn't, that everything in you that doesn't get you whole, you don't want anymore. You don't have to become unneurotic to go to God. I love this. You just have to become disinterested in whether you're neurotic or not. And I can't tell you how many times I have told my, my little mantra. I have a mantra, and that mantra is, just ignore yourself, okay? And I sometimes tell that to people as well. And they get it. We get it, because that's exactly what he's saying here. What happens after many years of trotting the spiritual path and doing all these practices, one of the major things uh, one could say is that you stop being so reactive to your stuff, to your neurosis, and you become less interested. <laughs> I think it's a great, uh, great way to put it. Um, and then he goes into this. So here's the, the stuff about grace. And I think it's important, especially around having a teacher. And, uh, uh, and by teacher, for instance, the Tibetans will talk about teacher in terms of guru. Um, and obviously, when we speak of guru, uh, we generally are speaking with a being that has not got attachment and is not living subject to duality, the laws of um, duality. And uh, th those are rare, and there's many levels of that, which should be very hard for somebody who isn't realized to understand. Uh, but we, there is an immediacy, and just being with um, Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji, of, of experience that uh, is our rudder for somebody who just uh, is doing the right thing, as Ramdas said. There is no volition. It's automatic that they do what's necessary for you uh, to clean up your life. Everybody that has asked to get free has called down upon themselves grace. And this is, this is the most important. This is so well said, obviously, and, and so succinct. That is their guru, their guide, their guardian angel, spiritual friend. There are so many names for this. And uh, such a being, whoever it is, that is your guide, through to your lineage, whichever that may be, which is your way through to liberation, is called forth by your genuine asking for something. If you don't ask, they don't even notice you. This is kind of very direct. But the minute you ask to be free, you call down grace. And it's interesting, a friend of mine uh, was in India a number of years ago, and he was with Sidima, who I think you've heard her name on this podcast, um, somebody who was with uh, Maharaji for many years, and when he left, he left her as our Indian mother, and, and she's a saint in her own right. And he said to her, 
I don't know, they were just having a conversation, and I think he said, yes, I never ask Maharaji for anything. He knows everything that's going on. What is the necessity to ask for anything? God knows it all. I don't have to ask for anything. For myself, he was speaking. And she said, you're absolutely wrong. It is your duty to ask, and it is the duty of the guru to respond. It's, it, it, that's a dance, a relationship that is real. And he got that. And um, I thought it was just uh, so pointed to what Ramdas is saying. I mean, she absolutely concurred. For those of you that understand, your whole life becomes a dialogue with that being. And this, uh, again, I bring up Trungpa Rinpoche, who talks about the relationship of a student teacher, chela, guru, devotee, whatever you want to call, uh, is a relationship that's active. So you have that active dialogue. Ramdas talks about it in terms now, I, uh, I have a, he calls it an imaginary conversation with Maharaji on a day-to-day basis. So you are initiating this, and you may think it's just in your head, but as you start to uh, do it in, from a very pure place, then there, that presence becomes very real. And that uh, dialogue that Ramdas is talking about becomes real. Because everything that happens to you becomes part of a set of events that are open to you to make choices, either a choice to come closer into the harmony or go against it. And that being is defining for you that harmony again and again and again. And as you get closer to that harmony, you come to the point where you recognize that being. And, uh, and when you recognize that being, you're recognizing that being in yourself. So that's what God, Guru, Self is all about, that whole saying from Ramana Maharshi. Because you end up wanting only, not my, but thy will, O Lord. The uh, biblical saying of true surrender. So I love this. This is such clarity around a relationship with uh, calling down, with the guru, Whatever you want to call it, a guide, everybody's got a something, and it's just a matter of opening to it. And it's not necessary to meet them on a physical plane. Maharaji has proved that with uh, literally thousands of people who are connected to him, and no differently than people that went to India and met him in a physical body. So, uh, and, and it's that calling down of grace is the, you have to ask for it. And uh, that's a key thing. And I think this is, uh, uh, you know, just really important, really important for everybody to understand that is the uh, active part of a relationship with uh, God. You want to call it God? You want to call it Buddha mind? Whatever it is, it is an active thing. And uh, so this is a great talk from Ramdas. I... Uh, I think really important, uh, especially when people ask, how, how do I relate with a guru or with a, a pure teacher, whatever. Again, I'm, I'm, um, I'm all for collecting all of these different ways that we call things from love to guru to 
uh, God uh, and uh, assume that they there is only one, and it's just different references. But I think this is an imp- a really important uh, talk. I know I say this all the time, so you have to excuse me, but it's true. So um, thanks again for, I want to mention uh, all the support. Um, and don't forget, we, have, uh, we just got the physical hard copy of uh, books of Love Everyone. And that's the book about all of our experiences going back into India after we first met Ramdas over those years in the early 70s, uh, being with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji. It's so beautiful, this book. I am so thrilled. And you will be, too. Uh, It's not out yet. It's going to be out in about 10 days from the point of you listening to this podcast. Pre-order it. and uh, you, it, it's got just uh, it's, it's story after story after story from us Westerners that were there that everybody can relate with um, because we were we were just little guys and we went to India we didn't know from nothing and uh, boy oh boy talk about uh, being turned inward to recognize our true nature which is what this whole uh, talk of Ramdas starts out with, uh, which is the, uh, the reflection of a true teacher, of a pure teacher. Um, so, love everyone, please. Um, make, make, and let everybody know about it on Facebook and so on. You can just follow, uh, go to uh, uh, ramdas.org. You can share there, or you can go to Facebook, uh, Ramdas Love Serve Remember, page and uh, share from there. We have all these great videos that we've been putting up of people's stories that we taped, that we videoed. There's all sorts of great stuff. Uh, thanks for listening. Keep up the support for the Foundation Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org and we will see you next week. Here is Ramdas here and now. And the beauty of a teacher is only that they, when they are pure, what they look at when they look at you is they see your soul and they see what is keeping you from knowing who you are. And all that happens in them, like a computer, is that Kali comes forth. That form of the mother that comes forth with a knife to clean away everything in you which keeps you from being liberated. And they do it automatically. They can't help but do it but you've got to ask for it. And most people that hang around spiritual scenes want to want God, but they don't want God. They don't want to blow their scene. They just want to get a taste. Right? That's cool. That's cool. But comes a time in everybody's evolution, it will come for you, if it hasn't already, when you say, all I want to do is get done. Take me and do it to it. And then you look for the hottest fire you can find. I live in the middle of Manhattan. 
If I had my druthers, I'd live in Santa Cruz or in a thousand other beautiful places I can think of, certainly not Manhattan. But I live in Manhattan. Manhattan is a hot fire. It's got a lot of forces. I would like to become conscious in Manhattan. That's the hottest fire that I can work with. And now I'm at the point where though I live in Manhattan, I'm not in Manhattan because there's nothing in Manhattan I want. So in a way, that fire has done its purification. In the Ramayana, Sita, Ram's wife, in order to prove her purity, stands in the middle of a fire and nothing burns because there's nothing impure. That's what you look for ultimately. And why do you purify? Why do you clean up your game? Because you're tired of getting high and coming down again. Because you want to get on with it. Somebody gets you angry? Thank you. Far out. Thank you. Thank you for showing me where I'm not. Thank you for showing me where I'm holding on to a model in my head that I'm so attached to that I get angry because God didn't make the universe the way I wanted it made. You get so that everything in you that isn't going to get you home, you don't want anymore. Your self-pity, your unworthiness, your doubts, your confusion, your lust, your greed, your laziness, all that stuff. You don't sit around working it out, analyzing it, thinking about it, feeding it. You just let it go. You just get rid of it. You don't have to become unneurotic to go to God. You just have to become disinterested in whether you're neurotic or not. The soul comes in many different packages. At some point, you will be able to look at your entire incarnation and see the perfection of it. Now here is the stinker. The paradox of looking up, of coming into a plane in which you see the flow of the universe and the law made manifest, and you look and you see all is perfection wherever you look including suffering, violence, starvation, neurosis, all of your stuff and everyone else's, and you look from that space and you see the perfection of it all. Now, if you only stayed in that plane, you would have no compassion whatsoever. You would have no caring. You would not be involved at all. That plane is looking up. Put poetically, that is the one in which you get fascinated and focus upon the snowy peaks, the white peaks of the Himalayas. But you're so busy looking up, you forget to look down. Because when you look down, what you see is the blood upon the snow, the blood of the heart of Jesus.
Most of you are busy looking down. You are so aware of the suffering, of the horror, of the paranoia, of the tensions, of the neurosis, of the inequalities, of the unfairnesses of the world. And you're trying hard to make it a better place in which to live. And if you have more than someone else, you're feeling subtle guilt. And there's a whole set of dynamics connected with looking down and out on the suffering. Because all forms have suffering in them, because they're all in time and space. And so many people say the spiritual trip is escapism, because somebody looks up and they look up to the point where they see it's all perfect, then they can ignore the suffering. That doesn't get you home free. To get home free requires the power and strength of being to be able to simultaneously look up and see total perfection and look down and see incredible suffering. And to be strong enough to use your incarnation to relieve suffering without forgetting the perfection of it all, including the suffering and including your efforts to relieve the suffering. It's that simultaneity of perception that marks a conscious being. A conscious being who maintains their temple of body in order to maintain life and yet is not attached to life as opposed to death because they understand that life and death are part of the perfect process of transformation of energy. And at the same moment, they work consciously to maintain life for themselves and other people. Now, how do you deal with suffering? How you deal with suffering depends on whose it is. If somebody around you is hungry, you feed them. If a child is crying, you comfort them. If somebody is frightened, you quiet them. But when you meet somebody that wants to get liberated, you may even create suffering for them. Because suffering is the fire of purification. And later on, you begin to look at your life and the whole thing flips around and you begin to recognize that suffering is grace. I'll tell you how far out it is, a little bit. Everybody that has asked to get free has called down upon themselves grace. That is, their guru, guide, guardian angel, spiritual friend, what have you. Such a being, whoever it is, that is your guide through to your lineage, which is your way through to liberation, is called forth by your genuine asking for something. If you don't ask, they don't even notice you. But the minute you in truth said, I want to get free, or get me out of this, or God, are you, or where are you, or what do I do now, or I want to become enlightened, you call forth beings. That's you call down grace.
And for those of you that understand, your whole life becomes a dialogue with that being. Because everything that happens to you is part of a set of events that are open to you to make choices, either a choice to come closer into the harmony or to go against it. And that being is defining for you that harmony again and again and again. And as you get closer into that harmony, you come to the point where you recognize that being. Because you end up wanting only not my but thy will, O Lord. It was only a year and a half ago that I got so disgusted with my own hypocrisy of presenting myself as somebody and being somebody else that I thought all I want to do is get free. I don't want to play anymore. I want to get done. And it was at that moment that I was in a motel room that I have a vision and my guru comes to me and gives me instructions. He's been dead for two years. And those instructions brought me to my next teacher who now teaches me along with him. You may or may not ever know your guide or guru in this lifetime. It may not matter. Because you are guided as long as you are asking in purity. And every event of your life is grist for the mill. There is no event that is excluded. It's as if you perceive your whole life as a dialogue with God. And every act can do it for you or can take you deeper into the illusion. You can keep the chain going of births and deaths on and on. God doesn't care. The guru doesn't care. The guru isn't in time. God isn't in time. There's no rush. You're going to get home anyway. There isn't any time in the dance anyway. In the beginning and in the end are all the same place from where you sit when you're behind time and space. The whole dance of incarnations, the whole clock from 12 to 12, the millions of births you've taken, millions, millions of these, are as a, they're nothing. They don't even exist. Nothing happened. The beginning, the middle, and end are all here now. You are, are already the fully enlightened being, but you don't know it because you're busy being at 3.30 or 6.15, or 10, trying for 10.30. Yeah. Yeah. The whole clock already exists. The beginning, the middle, and the end. And what is potentially lying within you, which you know, is the capacity to be conscious free of time and space, free of attachment to any form, any plane. Put in the words of the heart, what it means is to open yourself to love with no boundary. When Meher Baba says, I am the ocean of love drowned in me, 
to open your heart and let that love flow and pour and grow and open and flood you and flood the universe. For the plane of consciousness at which you know everything because you are the consciousness of the universe and there's only one of it and everything, you are capable of knowing everything. You don't know everything but you are capable of knowing everything because it's all within you. To acknowledge that in fullness you must understand that is also the plane of pure love which is the plane of flow the plane of no boundaries of energy. But it's frightening because you disappear into it. You disappear into it. And if it's done gently and done consciously and done with heart, head and body all developing evenly and strongly, then you go into plane after plane after plane of consciousness, opening and opening and opening of heart without any struggle. If you try to do it uneven, it's very, very hard. Like you can work with Kundalini Yoga. You can breathe in and out, do pranayama, get very strong and control yourself and then hold your breath. And then just keep holding it. And after a while, you will get to the point where you are screaming for air. But your intellect says, were I a yogi and could go into samadhi, I wouldn't need to breathe. So I just won't breathe. And you start to strangle and choke. And your life passes before your eyes. And there's total panic. And then either, one of three things, either you flip into another plane of consciousness where you're not breathing, or you pass out, or you give up. But if you have strengthened your body and opened your heart, at the same time you've learned these disciplines, you flow into these other planes of consciousness without ever going through any struggle. And you'll be sitting there totally in love with the universe and you'll suddenly realize you haven't been breathing for the last 15 minutes. And there was no, I'll stop my breath. There's no ego involved in the journey when the journey is done in perfect harmony. Each of you has many, many, many identities. Not only historical in terms of your incarnations, but vertical, right now, simultaneously. For example, people will write to me and say, thank you for coming to me at three in the morning I was in great pain and suddenly you were standing in my room and you uh, gave me a lot of love and I felt much better and I want to thank you for coming. And I look back and what I was doing that night, 
and I was um, reading a book or talking to somebody. At the moment, they say I was with them. Now, was I with them or wasn't I? Actually, I was with them, but that part of me that was with them, that was called by their mind, was not the part that I was busy being. I was busy being the somebody on this plane that was talking to somebody else. On the other hand, if I sit down and through making love to the mother and opening, through opening my heart that way and through pranayam and through discipline of working with the shakti go into samadhi, then I have identified with that part of me which may be visiting them and I'm aware of visiting them but then I'm not aware of you on this plane. The person that was visiting them was going about visiting them, my astral body, whether I knew it or not. But behind those two, there are still more. There are higher and higher bodies and beings. And every time you let go of another model of yourself, you meet a new self, a new identity, a new awareness that lies behind that one, behind that one, behind that one, behind that one. And each one you go into vertically is so much more of all of it. You see, most people don't believe in all of this stuff. So they've taken all of the methods for becoming the spirit or going into higher consciousness and they've redefined them in the way for this world. Take Tantra, for example, sexual Tantra. Most people have defined sexual Tantra as the relation between a man and a woman. In actuality, the true Tantra, like the relation between Radha and Krishna, is the relation between the devotee and God. But it is not amazing that this confusion arose because the relation between you and God ultimately is nothing short of total intercourse. But it's much more total intercourse than anything you've ever experienced genitally. Because in truly opening to God, you become both the lingam and the yoni. You become both that which penetrates into the universe and that which is open wide and receives the universe into you. God both comes into you and you come into the mother and into God. I am brahmachari, meaning sexually continent, but that isn't by, out of any will on my part. It's because I am involved 
in making love to the universe. And in order to have the thought forms to arouse genital sexuality, I must see another human being as an object to some extent. I must see another being as them, as her or him. And it's very hard for me to hold on to that reality long enough to participate in that act. Some of you have experienced what I'm talking about. When it is as if your whole, not only your body is in orgasm, not only the cells of your fingers and your toes are feeling exactly as your penis or your vagina would feel, but your heart is in orgasm. Your soul is in orgasm. It's the feeling of the flow into and the unification with. It's the totality that you yearn for and keep attempting to approximate with all the things you have at your control to give you that feeling because in orgasm there is no self-consciousness. At that moment, your mind is quiet, your heart is open, and your body is totally tuned, just for, for most of you, that moment. And the beauty of it is, is it's available, and the horror is, it's in time. It passes. And then you have to look for the next one. What is enlightenment in those terms? What is the true tantra? The true Tantra is living in total orgasm with the universe at all times. The cosmic giggle of a conscious being is not out of sexual frustration, I assure you. There is no game I play any longer out of good and evil. That it would be better if you ate meat or ate vegetables. It would be better if you had sex or didn't have sex. It would be better if you sat up straight or didn't have straight, sit up straight. All I see is how the game unfolds. And each person hears what they're ready to hear. There's no blame and there's no gain. Because to try to be some place you're not in the evolutionary game is absurd. You can't do it. You just end up being a phony hypocrite. You got to go back anyway. To try to be celibate and then be horny all the time. Yeah. What absurdity. You, who do you think is giving you points? <laughs> yeah. Not getting anywhere. To be busy not eating that hamburger, you know? I'm not eating hamburger. I've been vegetarian for four years and two months. I don't eat hamburger. You, know? yeah. you think that's getting you to God, really? Do you really think the number of hamburgers you didn't eat is going to get you to God? Yeah. If it were only that simple, then all the righteous people would be liberated. 
But the predicament is righteousness doesn't get you to truth. Though truth allows you to be righteous. There isn't anything wrong with this and that. It is only that when you taste and want something, you begin to select out of this and that, that which will get you there. You don't deny the things in you that don't get you there, but you don't necessarily act upon them. That's the way it is. Because you're more eager to get on with it than to have one more rush. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.